The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 506 for February 21st, 2016. Apple pushes back on the FBI to help crack into an iPhone. Over 98% of smartphones around the world run Android and iOS, and new hardware out of the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Kicking off the news this week, a court order demanding that Apple work with the FBI to unlock the data stored within an iPhone 5C that was used by the San Bernardino shooter, which was Syed Farouk. So Apple posted an open letter in response to the unlock request. It was signed by CEO Tim Cook, and it says that the court order is an unprecedented step that threatens the security of its customers with implications far beyond the legal case at hand. Apple has posted its public response to start communication with regard to the issue, and they say it has complied with valid warrants in regard to the case, but now the FBI has gone too far is in uh, in terms of how Tim Cook is looking at this thing. So they're asking uh, asking Apple to create something that's too dangerous for them to create, and he calls it a backdoor into the iPhone. He also goes on to say that the court wants Apple to create a special version of the iPhone operating system, which would ignore the security features of it. Also, the letter indicates that the order is unprecedented in history, and he says they can find no precedent for the American, an American company being forced to expose its customers to a greater risk of attack and the implications of the government's demands that he says are chilling and if they want to use the all writs act to make it easier to unlock your iphone it would have the power to reach into your device to capture the data within there and the government could then extend that breach of privacy to demand apple built surveillance uh, software to intercept messages access health records financial data as well as tracking your location and even accessing your phone's microphone or camera without your knowledge Cook says the government is effectively asking Apple to hack its own devices to undermine decades of security enhancements that protect customers, and the request is asking that the ability to do a brute force force attack on the device, according to Tim Cook, that the government would have them be removing security features and adding new capabilities to the operating system, allowing for a passcode to be inputted electronically and making it easier by trying thousands or millions of combinations uh, with the speed of modern computers. And he concluded the letter by claiming that the FBI demands compromise freedoms and liberties that the government is meant to protect. So, of course, this story, uh, a very, uh, you know, one that kind of got whipped up here and the mainstream media, pretty much uh, everyone that I read was covering this. And they they did some extensive research on this, some extensive conversations about it, uh, especially on some of the main you know news program that's out there during prime time. And uh, it's you even heard presidential candidates weighing in on what they think should happen. So certainly a topic that uh, is very important to a lot of people. Uh, but then it, it got even more complicated just a couple of days after this request came through. Um, Buzzed News reported that the passcode on the phone had been changed after it was in the custody of the U.S. government. So according to this report, uh, Apple executives had revealed that the company had been in touch with the government and was working with them on a solution. Uh, when testing one of the possible solutions, they discovered that the Apple ID passcode associated with the phone had been changed. 
course, making it more difficult to access that information. And uh, so interestingly, Apple had sent uh, engineers to uh, work through methods um, of trying to discover information on the phone. And then they discovered, of course, that the passcode had been changed. Had it not been, they said, uh, the information they were asking for would have been easier to assemble, eliminating this court order uh, at the center of this dispute. And I want to clarify your language there just a little bit. It was the iCloud ID password, not the passcode of the phone itself. And, and this that, that makes a big difference here because if they would have been able to change the passcode of the phone, they would know the passcode and none of this would be an issue. Yeah, so it's, um, it is interesting because that was, that was this kind of curveball that came in. And as sensational as that piece sounds... Um, the FBI released a press statement explaining its motivation for resetting this iCloud password. Um, while it seems like it was a mistake, what they did was actually done in a way um, in collaboration. Uh, the county that was did it in collaboration with the FBI to gain access to their iCloud account. And then they said it was able to successfully retrieve iCloud backups up until October 19th. However, uh, they said they want Apple to create a backdoor to the locked iPhone because it believes there's more data that's relevant uh, to the case that's yet to be uncovered. It's interesting, too, the iPhone didn't back up anything after October 19th, and it's possible that uh, Farouk had disabled a feature on the iPhone and simply did not return to any known Wi-Fi networks while it was being plugged in. So it's not known if there's an actual iCloud backup that may have more information in it. So, um, and of course, I, this was a, a shooting case that happened in December. So there's a couple of months of missing data. So that's why they're trying to dig into it. Yes, and and that makes sense to me that they would try to get an an iCloud backup. But uh, you know, like they'd said, not a lot of information. Well, it's not guaranteed that the information is going to be backed up via iCloud because you can easily turn off. Uh, individual applications for backup. And I suppose if you were using a, a, an application nefariously, you may be smart enough to, to turn that off. Um, okay, so for the iCloud backup, wouldn't have that. And, and on top of it, some applications uh, may not even use iCloud backup. Uh, one story I, I, I saw had, you know, saying, well, iCloud, you know, not all applications use iCloud. I'm like, oh, that's not what they're talking about. I mean, it's the, the, the amount of misinformation being presented about all of this uh, in the media is just astronomical. I mean, if they don't fully understand the issue, and of course, it, it keeps changing too, because new information, and new press releases keep coming out. Uh, it seems like every day about this uh, particular thing. And and yes, there's a there's a couple of major issues going on here. But, you know, when you get into the, uh, cases like this, the, the nitty gritty details really uh, kind of define the big picture. And this is such a you know convoluted story that, you know, you take, uh, you know, you take this device, which is owned by the county. It's not it wasn't his personal device at all. The 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 owner of the device gave permission uh, to the FBI to, you know, do whatever they want with it. You can have any data you want on here. Go for it. Um, what, what I don't understand exactly is uh, why the county didn't have uh, management software on this device where they can easily unlock it and change the passcode, remove the passcode on a device. I tested this myself uh, yesterday, and I wish I wouldn't have, uh, but I tried it because I've got, a I've got a device that's on the Apple server, the MDM server, the, the profile manager that Apple includes. Uh, basically, it's a $20 application. You can you know manage your fleet of iPhones with it. And I, there's an option on there, and I, I saw it, and it kind of surprised me. Um, 
because my device that I have on there, I do not have it supervised. And there's two different levels of kind of supervision that, that you can have. You can have a supervised device and a non-supervised device, which is basically the bring your own device where the, the profile that you've got and all the apps you've pushed and all the settings you've done, you, the, the end user can hit the remove profile under the settings menu and the device just, it wipes all that stuff out and you're gone and it, you're done with the, the, the company, uh, per se. Whereas the supervised devices, you don't have that, you, you can have that option available, but you can actually lock it down. So you do not, uh, so you cannot remove the profile and everything because the device is essentially an owned device, uh, with a supervised device. So mine isn't even supervised. And within my device options, I had remove or clear passcode on the phone itself. And I thought that can actually work. Will it? I thought that option wasn't really going to work. And I hit it and sure enough, I, you know, slid uh, to unlock my phone and there was no, you know, four digit or six digit passcode anymore. And it just went right to the home screen. However, what I didn't anticipate, it took all of my Apple Pay cards with it. It took all of the fingerprints with it. It took all kinds of other passwords and security stuff with it uh, when I did this. So that was, uh, uh, you know, I, I suffered for checking out the story to see, you know, what what could happen. So, um, you know, shame on San Bernita or the, the, the county for not having their device managed that they own because they, they really should because issues like this can come up. And you as the owner device, I mean, technically they could probably hold the county uh, liable for something like this for not properly having device manage. Okay, so that's one thing. Um, and there's a whole bunch more uh, to this as well. So why don't you keep reading what you have here? Yeah, let's let's keep going through this here. So obviously the um, the, the the kind of the, the missing piece of, of backup was the first, uh, you know, the first section of this. So um, the finishing up what's going on with the FBI, they said through previous testing, they know, of course, that direct data extraction from an iOS device provides often more data than an iCloud backup. So even if the password had not been changed and Apple could have turned on the auto backup and uploaded it to cloud, there may be more information on the phone that would not have been accessible without Apple's assistance. And uh, the government's objective um, was and still is to extract as much evidence as possible for the phone from the phone, of course. So um, Apple has uh, been given additional time to respond to this deadline is Friday. So we've uh, just got a couple of days left here before um, they have to, um, you know, before they have to respond to this. We're fully expecting them to formally reject this motion, uh, given the stance that we have just talked about in the letter. Okay, so I'm going to take even a, another step back again. This was a, a, a county-owned device that um, you know this person, this employee was using, and uh, but but taking um, you know taking the the bigger picture here, the, the you know the 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 Q shooters here had devices that they on purpose destroyed. They had phones and they had hard drives that they threw in the river and destroyed, destroyed, and then threw in the river. I don't remember the exact details. The chances of actually of there being any sort of useful data on this, you know, company owned phone is probably about 0.0, really. I mean, the, 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 there's really a, a slim none chance that any of this actually means anything as far as any data that they could use to track down some terrorist groups or terrorist contacts that they may have had or 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 some something that would help the FBI in any way at all. So this is this is all kind of uh, to me, it's it's all kind of worthless because there really probably isn't because if it was he wouldn't have been using that phone or he would have destroyed it instead of, you know, left it sitting there uh, available. So that to me, that it kind of really makes this, this whole story kind of nothing. 
So I, 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 I'm totally with you on that. I do think, though, that the, the biggest uh, you know, thing that has come out of this is just the conversation that revolves around the, the encryption and the security of the device. And so let's talk a little bit about what is actually happening here and what this means. So whatever you want to call it, let's just call it a backdoor for the conversation. The, the changes to the iPhone operating system being asked by the FBI would, would actually not circumvent the core of the encryption. So I think that's a very good point to, to first off state. You know, it really is. They, the, uh, yeah, the FBI wants Apple to build, uh, to remove the mechanisms that, that, that create, um, how would you, a little extra security to, to avoid brute force attacks on the, on the, the keypad. Uh, there's uh, an increasing time delay if you type the, the incorrect password and, and you may have the uh, option turned on, you know, uh, erase the device if the passcode is entered 10 times wrong. So they don't even know if that's enabled. So they probably tried the passcode a couple of times, maybe, and uh, decided, okay, well, we, we've, only, we've already used a couple of attempts up. We better not uh, do any more. So they want to get those two things removed so they can then brute force it, which then de- you know, decrypts the device uh, for use. Uh, and then the data is available. And then you can hit the trust button and connect to the computer and get, you know, do the, the essential you know, full iTunes backup and get all the data off the phone. You know, I wanted to take one, one. I wanted to go one step back again. We we talked just to clarify about the iCloud, the iCloud part, and what the, the stories have kind of glossed over is the the fact that they actually have the iCloud uh, backup from October, and they can access this because, like every other online service that's out there, is when they're they're you know handed a, a government uh, warrant or search order or whatever it may be. Uh, to provide data that's in those online accounts, Apple does that as long as well as you know Dropbox, Google, every other online service that's out there. Evernote, if they get an order, court order, to say you know you need to turn over this data, they do it. And the contents of an iCloud backup is in the cloud. Thus, it is something that Apple does and can provide to whoever has the proper authority. So this is, you know, that that they've got that. So if the backup was a full full backup, they'd have all the data that's on the device. Pretty much, I mean, if, if, as long as it was selected. So that's kind of a little detail that's also kind of glossed over in the mainstream media about this kind of thing. And, and they're talking about, you know, not unlocking the device, but it's a little different. And I want to compare this to something like a, um, uh, compare this to like a, 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 a safe. Let's say a, a company builds a, a really good safe to put your, you know, valuables in, like a, a bank safe. And they make a lock that's, let's say it's a booby trap, so you can't drill into it and, and you know, take the little scope like you see in the movies and, 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 and try to you know, open the lock. It's got little explosives that blows uh, the contents up of inside the safe so you cannot access it. Or, or when you do that, it, it locks it down even harder when you try to uh, open, you know, try to crack the safe open. This is exactly what this, this you know, Apple's being asked to do is to take, uh, you know, somebody that's made a really, really good safe and say, well, okay, now you need to, you made this safe you can't get into. Now you have to now create a way to get into your safe that you uh, didn't, uh, that you, you built too secure. That's crazy talk. It really is. That doesn't make any sense. If the FBI wants it open and wants it done, they should probably do it themselves. 
Yeah, so there there's a lot of pieces to what to what Joey has talked about here. So let's 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 further break these down and, and reiterate some of them too. So um, so the, the encryption on the iPhone itself has got a multi-tiered system to it. Um, there are there are two keys. One is embedded in the hardware, and the second is from the pin. Uh, of course, that four to six digit pin that you have. So the hardware key is used to generate the file system, and in turn is used to encrypt that file system data. And then th- that data or metadata uh, includes the encryption key for each file, and then that per file key is encrypted using an encryption key that's derived from the combination of both that hardware key and the pin key. So you have to, absolutely have to have the pin key, or it's impossible to decrypt the overall. Uh, per file keys and then of course to get into the the contents of what's on the phone so the fbi is not asking for and apple surely could not provide any kind of backdoor to um the the in those parts of the system there's no master key that can then decrypt the files and break through that dependence on that pin key uh so that that they call it cryptography that cryptography does appear to be very secure well and theoretically there actually could be and and most companies build one in but apple may have not and or if they do they will not acknowledge that existence of them yeah and i you know i think i think that's probably the right way they need to go at least at this point so anyway um so then the next uh the fbi is is asking for apple's assistance in the weak spot so not the encryption uh but the pin input system so on a four-digit pin um obviously susceptible to brute force attacks only 10,000 possible combinations, something that a, a modern computer computer could run through in like a second. Like it's, it would take nothing to do it. Um, so there's three techniques that the iPhone is using to combat this. So so obviously the, the delays between the pin attempts. So you can enter the first four, as Joy mentioned. The first ones you can enter in back to back. And you've probably noticed this. Um, whether it's you've done it yourself or maybe you've got a child uh, that has messed around with your phone before and they start, and I, I, I do, and so I know exactly what happens. They can, they can enter it, it four times very, very quickly. Once you get to that fourth attempt, then you've got to wait a minute before you can get to the fifth attempt. And after that, then you've got five minutes before you can make it to the sixth and then 15 minutes before the seventh and eighth and then a full hour before the ninth. So um, I've, I've actually seen it go all the way up to the 15 minute thing, and, which at that point, you know, was able to pull it away from, I'm sure it was my son, <laughs> and enter in the right passcode and uh, we were ready to, you know, able to get in. So, um, but either way, so that's the first piece of it. So you can't just on a brute force thing with the way that this is set up, enter in 10,000 combinations. At most you get 10 because of the way that it uh, will then fully wipe the device. And that's the second technique is the wiping of the device after 10 failed pin attempts. Um, but that option has to be turned on. Um, after that, the phone will discard its file system key um, and uh, rendering the file system data include the per file keys permanently inaccessible. The third and last technique is the computation used to derive the pin key from the pin itself. And it takes a relatively slow 80 milliseconds to occur, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think about what a computer could do, 80 milliseconds, it can only at most effectively do, what is that, 11 or 12 different combinations within a second. So it would take a little bit of time, although not the end of the world. But anyway, so there, that's the third and final technique. So 
Um, what the FBI is asking Apple to do is create this custom iPhone firmware, removing the escalating delays and omitting the device wipe. So it also is asking for a way to enter pins other than typing them in one after another on the touchscreen. So essentially a special version of the iOS that's you know open to a brute force attack on the pin. Of course, as long then as the phone uses a pin, it would ultimately let the, the FBI unlock it. But if it's locked with a secure password, unlocking it would be very, very uh, difficult because it wouldn't be based on a number, but it'd be based on um, a, you know, a, an alphanumeric potentially code. Well, and they know this. Uh, it, well, they should know this because when you, you know, swipe to, swipe to unlock, you'll see the 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 the, the number of uh, digits that the password be, and if it's the and if it's a passcode versus a password. Um, then it would give you the keyboard versus the numbers. So that they already know. Um, and, and that is a very interesting thing. And yes, you could not brute, even with the special firmware, firmware you could not brute force uh, the, the passcode, the password uh, password uh, thing for it because you, you don't know if it's capital, lowercase. And then it would take, you know, hundreds of years of, you know, high-speed computer to try to decrypt it at that uh, point for the brute force. You know, what's interesting about this is, you know, why the FBI is asking Apple to do this is because and, and, and why they're not doing it themselves is because the iPhone requires the the firmware itself to be signed, uh, you know, with security certificates by Apple and the iPhone contacts it goes on, the, it you know, access to the Internet and actually goes to Apple and says, is this firmware signed by Apple and is this, you know, able to run? on this iPhone and it uses the device serial numbers. It uses, you know, it actually has to contact Apple to work and, you know, try to take an iPhone and, and, and activate it without uh, an internet connection. You, you cannot do it. And you cannot, uh, like you cannot load old firmwares on an iPhone because when, when, when the iPhone actually goes to, to verify the firmware that it's actually true and, and real firmware, it says, no, no, this firmware is no longer signed and you can't run it, even though it was a valid firmware at one point and Apple signed that firmware at one point in time. It no longer does because it wants you to move forward on the, the current version. So that's where this comes into play is why the FBI has to go to Apple to say, you know, we need this special firmware. Yeah, and, uh, and, and further, you know, with that, so it would be a, a very special version of it. Um, with all of those unique identifiers that we mentioned, including serial number, IMEI, uh, MAC addresses of the radios as well. There's all sorts of different things that identify that. So um, it would be it would be something that even if it were to leak out, um, it wouldn't necessarily be um, as much of a concern uh, of of that actually being like a you know something that anyone could use to get any other into any device. But certainly there could be you know uh, reverse engineering. I'm sure that could be done that could uh, potentially cause other issues with this thing. I'm sure. But then on, again, like even I just said. You know, if it's a special signed firmware, Apple turns off the signing of that firmware, right? So then even if it did right. get out, would it be useful or not? I don't, uh, you know, I really don't know uh, if that's the case or not. However, you know, thinking about how, you know, complicated these, the, you know, the, the, the firmware must be and all the signing technology that's built into the firmware itself. This is something that could take Apple, uh, you know, months and months and months to actually create. You know, it'll be so old by that point. Uh, it does it even matter if there's anything on the device, even if there's something on the device. I mean, we're getting down to just absolutely uh, the information that could be just just not worth anything at, after all of this. And I think that's really the to kind of wrap this up. That's the testament of, of what the FBI's request really is, is just how good this encryption is. Um, and, you know, if the FBI can't attack, you know, get into the iPhone and Apple 
uh, potentially can't get into it or it takes, uh, you know, potentially an extremely long time to do it. Um, you know, even even if they can make it through all of that, um, you still have, you know, the the encryption that's occurring on this device that is it should it should give us a lot of comfort if you happen to be an iOS user that your data is exceptionally secure. And with this request and, and, and this, uh, you know, that this major focus on, you know, encryption and devices and security and privacy, all, all this stuff, a, a lot of this. Um, you know, this real hardcore encryption in Apple's taken steps in newer models of phones uh, to make it more secure because uh, this was an, an iPhone 5C in particular. And, and now we've got a uh, you know, secure enclave with devices that have the uh, Touch ID fingerprint sensor. I can guarantee that future versions of the iPhone and or firmware, depending on what it may be, will have, um, you know, uh, erase on firmware update set. So this can't even come up again in a device that uh, that that's encrypted and it's locked out and uh, you know to avoid this potential issue where you know a, a government agency or, or whomever comes to Apple and says load a special firmware on this device for me and I want this to be done and Apple's going to build in a system where that won't even be possible because if you try to load a firmware it's just going to wipe it because th- mm. then it takes this whole argument away again that then it, it makes no sense to even try this because there's just no way to get in. So I know that's going to be up and coming uh, from Apple as well, because a lot of this, uh, you know, a lot of this attention, of course, from the big companies has come um, from the Edward Snowden's leaks. You know, the, the, the depth and the breadth of, of the, the government uh, surveillance was really not known or understand to everybody until that point. And it's really created, um, you know, an environment for tech companies to really, really lock down their systems because, uh, you know, we kind of all just gave the, the government the benefit of the doubt. Well, not all of us, but, you know, some people did and really kind of assumed that why would they be looking at any of this stuff? This stuff doesn't matter. But, you know, we really found out they were looking at almost everything. And now companies are, you know, trying to uh, protect their customers, but also trying to, uh, you know, do right because this is not just a U.S. Uh, policy. This is something that affects the entire world, entire globe. So I guess the, you know, on the, the, the flip side of this conversation, we talk about the security and the overall, um, you know, safety of this, this information and our personal information is, is really being held in a way that or is being stored in a way in these devices that is, is very inaccessible. I mean, you talk about a case like this where, you know, we're talking about a matter of, of effectively understanding potentially what a terrorist was doing and we're having an issue getting this data out of it. You know, there, there's, there's a good chance that the majority of, of the rest of us aren't really going to have to worry about our, our, our information being taken out of our devices uh, remotely so um, but th- so the question is or that I want to kind of pose is what does this mean from a from a national security perspective from the if if we can't get into it for a case as important as this should every criminal in the world just be using an iPhone because there's no way that we're going to be you're going to ever be able to get information out of that and all you have to do is just set the passcode on it yeah set the passcode don't uh, well, pass, use a password not the passcode not even the six digit one um, it would set the set the kill switch. Don't have iCloud turned on or enabled, and don't use any single online service whatsoever. Uh, don't use Google. Don't use anything like that. Um, then you'd probably be okay, uh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and that's but then you're you, you might as well uh, not bother at that point because it, it won't be that useful to you. But y- you are right. Then you're fairly uh, you could be almost fairly certain that the data will not be able to get off that device. It is interesting to think you mentioned a, a couple of different services. You know, I 
the, the first thing I, I saw or that, my, that went through my mind when I saw this story was they're really trying to get in to get phone calls and text messages because they are, you know, the rest of this information they could easily just pull off of, of servers if they knew what the accounts were that this person was using, right? You could go to Google, you go to Yahoo, go to MSN, go to whomever, uh, and, and you can pull that information potentially with, you know, the right warrants and everything. You could, uh, um, you know, you could probably pull that kind of stuff. But, but you know, that those phone records uh, and those text messaging records, that is like stuff that is just not as accessible as the rest of this stuff is. And it's amazing, um, you know, that over all of these years, uh, you know, with wiretapping and all the things that have happened, you know? No, and, and, and I think, I can, actually, I, I disagree with you because since the, the phone was owned by the county, they can just go to whomever had it, which, you know, Verizon, Sprint, whomever the, the cell killer, carrier was, they'd have the record of the, 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 the numbers that were called and or received and text messages that were you know sent and or received not the actual contents but they would have the phone numbers to it so i don't think that's an issue so what about okay so then it goes back to uh apple uh facetime audio calls or other kind of voice over ip calls which are certainly much less trackable if almost impossible to track and then further iMessage is the other big one too. Absolutely. So those would be uh, very, very tough ones uh, without getting the device itself, uh, the, the the actual you know contents of those databases. And then of course there's uh, you know in reading some of these stories they they mention a bunch of you know potential candidates to look at like uh, there's you know these these secure instant message clients uh, that are using encrypted crypt you know back to back encrypted. Uh, there's all you know a whole bunch of I can't remember the specific names of them, but there's of course a whole bunch of apps uh, that they could look at in particular to see if there's any any contact or any of those apps exist or any information within them. Yeah, one of the ones that comes to mind is CyberDust, um, which is Mark Cuban's application, and uh, essentially it is a you know full encrypted system back to you know end to end that. Um, these these messages self destruct or whatever you want to call it, uh, and so that I mean that's the kind of stuff I'm sure that they're talking about. Well, and of course in this case, if you 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 look at the mainstream media response to it, it's the you know should you know should the government be allowed to get this data? You know that that's kind of the the, the root of the cause. You know whose side are you on? Are you on the side of the police and they should have access to this, or are you not on the side of police and you know keep this stuff secure? Um, and it's not an easy thing to answer. It, it's just not because it, it, it it's, it, you know, the, the, it's so varied based on, you know, each case, you know, obviously many people were uh, shot and killed in this and it's, it's really awful. Um, and the precedent that Apple's trying to avoid, you know, it's, it's a bigger picture thing. It's not this incident, but of course you want to look at this incident and say, well, why can't they do it for this? And it, it's really not something you can just easily answer. There's there are many layers of it. There are many issues that that you know come up, and and you it's like you run into them if you start going down a path, you know, very quickly. In you know, well, we should be able to do it because of this. You know, it's not it's not as easy as just well, I'll just turn over the key. You know, as uh, I think that's what Donald Trump said about twenty times. Just give, have him give him the key. You know, boycott Apple. Give him the key. They got to give him the key. Um, it, it's just and again, it's it's not that easy. So anyway, it's a very very interesting topic, and uh, and I I think we'll see some additional stuff come out here over the next couple of weeks with it, and so certainly we'll cover that too. But um, you know, we will could be seeing some precedent being set here, some legislation and some uh, some law come into play that ultimately is how our devices are, how, you know, how, how this stuff is viewed moving forward, all because of this particular case. You know, absolutely right. That's a great point. Uh, you know, we can talk about this even further. You're right. We may start seeing laws that say, well, 
you cannot encrypt your devices like this. And and if you do, you need to be able to provide a way to unlock them, you know, by request. That just may happen. And, you know, Apple may not have a choice in the matter uh, or, or be breaking law. We also may see uh, if Apple does uh, decline the request um, of the FBI and the Department of Justice. I think both sent uh, similar requests this week to Apple. Uh, somebody, you know, there may be a contempt of court order and somebody may actually end up going to jail temporarily over this issue, uh, in the short term, even because of that. So, uh, you're right. It's It's definitely going to be interesting what happens in the kind of the medium to to long term, uh, of this particular issue. It is interesting to think about, isn't that? I mean, you, you see, you see someone like, uh, you know, Tim Cook is, um, you know, running the, the biggest company on the planet and, you know, could potentially absolutely take a stand on this. And you could see him in handcuffs as he's trying to deal with, uh, you know, the ramifications of what he believes in. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens and, and how they get past it. Obviously, that is, uh, you know, worst case scenario seemingly for for that situation. But uh lot of a uh, lot of interesting stuff going going along with this here and uh, and so something that definitely needed some attention from us so let's shift gears here and talk a little bit about uh, the other news that came out this week uh, first up Qualcomm saying that it has signed a new pat- patent licensing agreement with Lenovo which will use Qualcomm's 3 and 4g technologies in future mobile devices the d- patents will appear in both Lenovo and Motorola branded devices that cover technologies specific to the China market Qualcomm said it's agreed to pay royalties that are in line with the terms set by the China National Reform and Development Commission. And last year, Qualcomm set, uh, settled an investigation with China regarding its licensing policies for nearly a billion dollars. Lenovo will be using Qualcomm's technology to develop, manufacture, and sell handsets, including Tri-Mode, LT, uh, LTE, TDD, TDS, CDMA, and GSM devices. The terms were not disclosed. Qualcomm signed a similar deal with Zomni uh, late last year. Also from Qualcomm, introducing the RF360. This is a next-generation suite of radio products for phones spanning entry-level through flagships. The portfolio includes uh, what Qualcomm claims is the first 40 megahertz enve- envelope tracker for tuning multiple antennas and switches, along with a power amplifier. The suite will lead to sim- uh, slimmer handsets that will have better battery life and improved wireless performance. Qualcomm also partnering with Samsung to create the Samsung LTE-UE Femto cell, which relies on the Qualcomm FSM9955 chip. Efemto will be able to provide LTE service over unlicensed spectrum in the 5 gigahertz band. The company also adding support for uh, the Vulkan API and the Adreno 530 GPU. The graphics processors pairing with Qualcomm's top-of-the-line Snapdragon 820 processors. So together, uh, these APIs along with the, the 820 and the 530 will lead to dramatically improved 3D mobile gaming. And uh, also Qualcomm says several um, ODMs have agreed to make reference designs that are recent, including the recently announced Snapdragon Wear 2100 uh, SoC wearables. Um, what this all means is that uh, we should be seeing some very um, interesting stuff here from uh, different manufacturers coming out here with these new chips and also with uh, what's going on on the wearables side too. Finally, Qualcomm is saying that the Haven authentication framework now supports a back, a hardware-backed biometric fingerprint authentication 
for the WeChat mobile payment service. Uh, WeChat is being used in China right now, and Qualcomm expects to see that expand over time. Uh, and you can then use your fingerprint rather than a PIN or passcode to authenticate over WeChat. Yeah, I mean, this stuff is really the heart of all of our technology that we've got right now, our portable technology. And this, you know, like Intel was back in the, you know, the, the early 90s, mid 90s. And, and I mean, that's really what this, you know, Qualcomm and, you know, the other companies, you know, Qualcomm's kind of the, the biggest one is really driving all of this, you know, miniaturization and the fast and the high end. And, and of course, the, the high speed data uh, as well, because, it, you know, they're doing processors and they're doing the, uh, you know, the actual data transfer over the air. So it's really uh, it's, you know, really critical stuff. Yeah, and I, I think it's 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 very important that we talk about it. And that's why I always bring it up. It's not just about the devices, but it's what goes you know into these devices here, uh, that uh, that so you know what's going on with it. So uh, so you've got Qualcomm on one side. One of the other you know big guys in this is space is Samsung. They announced their Exynos seven octa seventy eight seventy chip this week. This is a mobile processor for mid level handsets. It uses these uh, fourteen nanometer. Uh, process consuming 30% less power uh, it includes uh, eight 1.6 gigahertz arm cortex a 53 cores cat 6 LTE modem joint carrier aggregation and download speeds up to 300 megabits per second it can also capture and playback full HD video and support cameras up to 16 megapixels on the front and back of the phone it also uses uh, GNSS tools to improve GPS and it will be shipping in the first quarter of the year well the latest numbers from research firm Gartner reveal that the smartphone industry continues to be a two-horse race between iOS and Android. So at the end of 2015, the two mobile operating systems combined for 98.4% of worldwide smartphone market share. Android remained in the top spot, uh, being used by 80.7% of the smartphones that are out there, iOS reaching 17.7% market share, Windows Phone 1.1%, and BlackBerry just 0.2%. Two percent. Ouch! An unbelievable drop if you look at uh, where things have come from, and you know it's amazing if you look at even in the last year where BlackBerry was, um, there were a total of 1.7 million Blackberries uh, in uh, for as far as sales were concerned at the end of 2014. Under a million. I can't probably tell you the last time BlackBerry sold under a million devices. It would may have not even been in a year that started with uh, 2000. Um, so it's it's pretty amazing to to look back at that. So. Android pushing 325 uh, million units and iOS selling 71 million units during the quarter. Those are quarterly numbers, not annual. So there you go. Also, Apple and Samsung uh, collectively shipping 552 million smartphones in 2015 overall. Uh, they were trailed by Huawei, Lenovo, and Zomni with 107, 73, and 72 million shipments, respectively. Global smartphone shipments for the entire year worldwide, 1.44 billion. So a lot of us buying smartphones last year. AT&T on Monday said it will pay customers of competing networks up to $650 per line to switch to AT&T. In order to be eligible for the credit, people need to purchase a new device through AT&T's next installment plan, activate that new line of uh, postpaid service, and then port in a number from either Sprint, T-Mobile, or Verizon. The program also requires people to trade in their old phones, and a trade-in will garner in-store credit towards a new device or an AT&T promotion card. Once customers receive their final statement from their pre- previous carrier they then submit that bill to AT&T which will send them a promotional card or visa prepaid card to cover that unpaid balance pretty much status quo here the total amount will be awarded uh, uh, to up to $650 this uh, deal can be combined with the buy one get one uh, offer that AT&T currently has as well as the unlimited plan 
for DirecTV and AT&T UVerse TV customers. Verizon has brought back its bonus LTE data program for people who subscribe to its XL and XXL plans. For limited time, customers upgrading or activating new phones will get two gigs of data uh, as a bonus per month for the life of their plan. Uh, the two gigs of bonus data is available to each line on the plan, up to 10 lines. A family of four, will, as an example, will get eight gigs added to their account each month. It can be shared across devices, including tablets and mobile hotspots, and it can't, though, be awarded to new tablet or hotspot lines. Verizon says customers need to be subscribed to an XL or XXL plan, which includes 16 and excuse me, 12 and 18 gigabytes of data, respectively, in order to keep that bonus monthly data. Sprint announcing a revamped line of plans for multiple lines called Better Choice Plans. The plans mimic Verizon's ranging from extra small to extra extra large and are shared across the devices. The extra small plan includes a gig of data for $20. The small plan, 3 gigs for 30 Medium is 6 gigs for 45 Large is 12 gigs for 60 And extra large is 24 for 80 The extra extra large is 40 gigs for $100. These prices don't include uh, access line fees and handset lease payment fees, of course. Sprint is also offering an unlimited plan for four lines for $150. Uh, They will pay up to $650 in termination fees when you switch over from a competing carrier. These plans are available immediately. T-Mobile publishing the company's earnings for the fourth quarter of 2015, announcing yet another profitable quarter. $297 million in profit with an addition of 2.1 million net new subscribers. Of the 2.1 million, 1.3 were branded postpaid net additions. This is a slight dip compared to Q3. But for the year in a whole, uh, they brought in 8.3 million new subscribers to the network. They had a target of only 2.4 to 3.4 million branded postpaid net additions, uh, though they did very well uh, with the 9.1 to 9.0. Seven billion dollars of adjusted EBITDA, and uh, so obviously a very strong quarter for them. The things that they're doing are definitely paying off. U.S. Sailor finishing building its LTE network, providing LTE coverage to 99% of its customers. U.S. Sailor says it will now focus its efforts on expanding roaming agreements with operators around the country, giving its own customers the ability to connect when not in areas with U.S. Sailor coverage. Though it did not name what carriers that it was working with. In-device news. Up first, if you're looking to get a new iPhone, Apple's making it easier by expanding its selection of phones that it will accept as trade-ins. The new program called Trade Up with Installments lets people turn in an old phone when buying a new iPhone, and they will apply the credit of the old phone towards the cost of the new phone or break up the payments for the new iPhone over a 24-month period. Apple will give $100 in credit for an iPhone 4 or 4S, $200 for an iPhone 5 and 5S or 5C, and $300 for an iPhone 6 or, of course, up to $350 for an iPhone 6S, though I'm not sure what you'd be getting. Uh, depending on the condition of the trade, that um, amount may vary. They'll give you between $100 and $300 in credit for any Android or Windows handsets that are traded in. And the 24-month financing plan includes Apple Care, which is $129 value. You visit an Apple store to figure out how much credit you would get when trading in for your new iPhone. Microsoft on Monday announcing the Lumia 650. This is a $200 Windows 10 handset that fits the gap between the entry-level Lumia 550 and the high-end 950 and 950 XL. The 650 features an aluminum frame, slim profile, and high-quality glass. It's got a 720p 5-inch AMOLED screen with clear black technology, quad-core 1.3 gigahertz Snapdragon processor, 1 gig of RAM, 16 gigs of storage, 8 megapixel on the backs, 5 megapixel on the front. 
Lenses include an aperture of f2.2. Main camera's got an LED flash video capture limited to 720p. LTE support for bands 1, 3, 7, 8, and 20. Not compatible with all U.S. networks is what that means. Select European markets is the target. It is available for that $200 price point, like I mentioned, and uh, we'll see a version potentially coming to the U.S., but nothing has yet been confirmed. HP on Sunday announcing the Elite X3. This is a Windows 10 mobile handset that can take advantage of the continuum to be used as a stand-in for a laptop or desktop computer. It's a ruggedized handset, meeting mil-spec 810G for protection against abuse and IP67 for protection against water and dust. It's got a 12-inch screen and keyboard accessory compatibility to serve as a laptop, or it can be plugged into a monitor, keyboard, or mouse to serve as a full desktop. It is a phablet boasting a 5.96-inch Quad HD screen. Gorilla Glass 4 is what it's using. It's powered by an 820 Qualcomm Snapdragon processor, which is 2.15 gigahertz on the octa-core side, and an Adreno 530 GPU with a quick charging 3.0 and rapid charging technologies built in. Also, it's a 16-megapixel camera, 4 gigs of RAM, 64 gigs of storage, and support for external memory cards, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, LTE, and built-in is a 4,150 milliamp-hour battery that uh, also supports wireless charging. The Elite 3 will go on sale, though uh, we did not hear when or what accessories that is being are being sold with it may cost. Finally, in Windows news, Nokia CEO Rajiv Suri on Sunday reiterated that the company would like to return to the phone business, but said they are in no rush. They noted that Nokia will not manufacture its own handsets, but will instead license its brand to an outside manufacturer. They want to play a role in designing the phones to ensure that the Nokia brand is well represented, but so far it's just looking. They say, for us, the business model is one of no traditional manufacturing, no channel, nothing. We're basically just licensing the brand. Partners will have to pay us for the IP license for it and the royalty and the brand use. And we want to be in a position to design the devices in question and the appropriate control measures should be in place with the partner so that they meet our standards. Uh, the timeline uh, as such a deal would potentially be struck later in this year would uh, have them not entering in the phone market until 2017 or beyond. Nokia has not sold or has sold its handset business to Microsoft, which divested the manufacturing facilities and no longer uh, Nokia no longer making any devices at all. Its primary focus being telecommunications and networking. Well, and based on the numbers that you just talked about with the Android and iOS, uh, that makes perfect sense. And yes, they should not be in a hurry to jump back in because that would be an absolute uh, boneheaded move on their part because it's just it's Android or iOS right now. Yeah, indeed. And, uh, you know, it doesn't uh, it doesn't seem to me that anybody is really clamoring for new Windows devices. And certainly if it's sitting on a shelf next to some other phones, maybe you, you might choose it uh, if you happen to be in the one percent of people that are still buying these. But the vast majority of us are not. And then, of course, looking at, uh, you know, how popular Nokia was, especially uh, globally uh, in the 90s. Oh, my God. How could they not be making phones today? I mean, that, that seems staggering, kind of like Motorola, too. I mean, because they were cell phones, uh, you know, through the 80s and, and, or in, and, and through, you know, through the 90s. Uh, just just amazing. It is. I mean, same BlackBerry, right? I mean, you think about the devices and the brands that we used to have. 
Um, nothing to say that Samsung could fall away, LG could fall away, Apple could fall away. It's just it's it's amazing just how quickly things can change. Well, uh, other news here, jumping into the Android side, LG on Monday announcing two new smartphones, the launch of the X-Series handsets, the X-Cam and the X-Screen. The X-Cam is defined with two rear-mounted cameras, one 13 megapixels, the other is five. LG says the setup allows for creative photo taking. The cam is also um, a five, has a five megapixel front camera uh, with a 5.2 inch full HD screen. A 1.14 gigahertz octa-core processor, 2 gigs of RAM, 16 gigs of storage, 2,520 milliamp hour battery, and support for LTE. The X screen, uh, the standout feature, a secondary always-on screen. It's got a 1.76-inch screen above the main display, uh, similar to last year's V10 handset that will display the time, incoming notifications, app shortcuts, etc. It's got an almost 5-inch 720p HD screen, uh, 2 gigs of RAM running on a 1.2 gigahertz uh, processor with 16 gigs of storage uh, 13 uh, megapixel on the back five on the front 2300 milliamp hour battery and LTE both shipping with marshmallow the X cam and X screen will be going to Asia Europe and Latin America with other regions to follow LG showing off the stylus 2, a refresh of last year's G4 stylish uh, stylus uh, it features a new stylus pen for more accurate uh, note taking on the thanks to the nano coating on the tip it also is accompanied by a 3000 milliamp hour battery a 5.7 inch 720p hd screen 1.2 gigahertz quad core processor a gig and a half of ram 16 gigs of storage 13 megapixels on the back eight on the front for the cameras um, no special features though but it will ship with marshmallow android 6.0 and uh, pricing for that will potentially be revealed here very soon Cat phones this week announcing the S60 smartphone. This is a fully rugged handset to include a first on a smartphone, a thermal camera. It it features the ability to take pictures and see heat signatures at a range of 50 to 100 feet. It can be used to view heat loss around windows and doors, uh, see overheating electrical appliances, and also see in the dark. It is also a rugged device. It can sit in five meters of water for up to an hour and, of course, meets the other mill specs uh, as well. That is such a cool feature. Thermal cameras are really, really neat. It seems kind of specific and, uh, uh, you know, very, uh, I don't know, I'd say kind of strange as on this this particular device that you can get an accessory for your iPhone and your Android device to, to have a thermal camel, uh, camera, uh, you know, add-on accessory. But this is really neat to be built in. Yeah, I, I agree as well. The phone itself is no slouch either. It's got a 4.7-inch HD screen, Gorilla Glass, wet finger tracking, which is really cool, as well as glove support. No idea how they're doing that. 3,800 milliamp hour battery, octa-core Snapdragon processor, 3 gigs of RAM, 32 gigs of storage, 13 megapixel on the back, 5 on the front, running on Marshmallow, shipping later this year for 600 bucks. Wet finger tracking is interesting because that happens to be all the time where I, the, the iPhone just is unusable if your finger is wet at all. You, can, you cannot make it do anything on the screen. Uh, I bet for the, uh, the, 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 the glove support, they're using both a resistive and a capacitive touchscreen. If it's detecting pressure but no capacitive interface, it probably you know switches over to a resistive touchscreen, and then if it detects your fingertip, it, it probably shuts that aspect off. So it's probably using both. Interesting. Yeah, I suppose if you get you know the right type of surface on it, um, you know that could that could potentially work out. And uh, you know they're building it in a way with Gorilla Glass Four that they they've probably been able to do some pretty neat stuff there. So um, kind of a neat thing. I, uh, I I love the idea of of being able to use the thermal camera on it. That's about the most novel thing I think I've heard on a phone in quite a while. 
Alcatel on Saturday announcing that it is dropping its one-touch uh, branding from the name, and so it will now have an up- updated logo and a name, just going by Alcatel, um, a brand of TCL, a large Chinese electronics company, of course. And with the rebrand, uh, this weekend, they saw new high-end hardware from the company in the form of the Idol 4 and the Idol 4S. Premium designs with metal frames for both of them. Uh, 3.6-watt JPL stereo speakers and JBL head or earbuds are included with the devices. Like the Idol 3, the Idol 4 series can be held in any rotation, and the screen and speakers will flip to be on the right to be right side up. The S4, which is a larger model of the device, will be coming in some markets um, with packaging that doubles as virtual reality goggles when used with the phone. The 4S has a 5.5-inch Quad HD OLED display, uh, 652 Snapdragon Qualcomm processor, 16-megapixel camera on the back, and 32 gigs of internal storage. The uh, Idol 4 has a 5.2-inch full, full HD LCD display, Snapdragon processor, uh, 13 megapixel camera, 16 gigs of storage, 3 gigs of RAM on both, 8 megapixel front cameras on both, NFC, CAT6 LTE, memory card slots, Android 6, and fast charging on all uh, on both those as well. They'll be shipping first in Europe in the second quarter, followed by the U.S. later this year. And what if the price of your next phone was less than a cup of coffee? This incredibly low price tag sounds too good to be true, but that hasn't deterred more than 600,000 people per second from heading online to buy the $4 Ringing Bells Freedom 251 smartphone that went on sale this past Wednesday. The traffic was so much that it slowed company servers down to a crawl and the pre-order website quickly went down. The company has been accused of dressing up a Chinese-made handset, the Icon 4, which has been being imported by Indian firm Adcom as its new budget phone. But local competitors have voiced concerns uh, about it, and as a letter sent to the Press uh, press Trust of India, an Indian Cellular Association, the members, including Apple and Samsung, argued this kind of product cannot be made and sold for less than $40. In response to the complaint, the PTI cites sources from the government saying that the ministry has analyzed the issue and feels that such a device can be manufactured for about 2300 rupees, which is around $30, but still uh, way above what the phone is being marketed for. So um, the ICA says that even with the subsidy ringing bells, would not be able to sell a handset for $4 and is calling the government to investigate. It, it reminds me exactly of the uh, the Indian Motors Tata uh, car that they were, uh, you know, advertising as being a, what was it, a $3,000, you know, $2,000 car, some ridiculous, unobtainable price. And I think when it finally hit the market, it was at least double that. So again, it's just a, a, a you know, obviously some sort of marketing gimmick. Yeah, and, you know, certainly $4. I mean, obviously everyone's going to buy that phone. And it was no slouch of a phone either. It was like a, you know, 2012 spec device i mean it wasn't like the latest thing that's out there but you know if you looked at you know buying an iphone 5 it wasn't that far off from something like that so it was pretty interesting and as the weekend came to an end the news out of mobile world congress was just heating up so we've got a lot more device news to talk about here and these are kind of the main event type of things that come out of the mobile world congress every year uh, first up with the first press conference of the day was LG and their announcement of their flagship handset for 2016, the G5. So we've seen leaks over the phone from the company in the last few weeks, and we've known the phone represents a new design and functionality from the earlier G models. LG is hoping that it will be able to set itself apart from competing phones. So the standout feature is a removable bottom section from the device that opens up the battery compartment and also allows for modular accessories to be added to the phone, such as a camera grip, a hi-fi audio module, and other options coming in the future. Maybe a thermal camera. 
Maybe a thermal camera. Yes, exactly. It is a very quirky thing uh, that the way that they're doing this here. It uh, it 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 kind of appears to me like if you've ever used a two-way radio, like you've just like how you pull the battery out of the bottom of the two-way radio and slide it back up inside of it. So, kind of an interesting feature there. But anyway, other significant changes include a shift from plastic to metal, the relocation of the volume buttons from the back of the phone back to the side, the power button, which doubles as a fingerprint sensor, remains on the rear panel. The G5 has a 5.3-inch Quad HD display and is powered by a Snapdragon 820 processor with four gigs of RAM. The main str- main screen screen includes an always-on feature similar to the V10, but without the separate screen, and it uses minimal power to do so. 32 gigs of storage, but supports memory cards up to 200 gigabytes. Dual rear cameras included, with a main shooter at 16 megapixels and an f1.8 uh, and normal 75-degree field of view. The second camera rates at 8 megapixels and a, has a wider 135-degree field of view. Both cameras are assisted by laser focus and can capture 4K video. The user-facing camera has an 8 megapixel sensor and captures full HD video. Other features include a 2800 battery with Quick Charge 3, USB Type-C, Bluetooth 4.2, GPS, NFC, Wi-Fi, and of course LTE. The phone runs Android 6.0 Marshmallow, and LG has toned its user interface skin way back. The LG G5 comes in four colors, including silver, titanium, gold, and pink, and will be sold by every major U.S. carrier starting in April, though pricing was not revealed. Next up, ZTE announcing the S-Pro Plus, a smart projector, its third-generation Android projector combination device. It's got an 8.4-inch 2560 by 1600 display that effectively operates as a 1-inch thick tablet. It runs Android 6.0 Marshmallow. It can push 2K pictures at sizes up to 300 inches, though it's optimized for 120 inches. It's got 2.4-watt Harman speakers. The chassis, like I said, measures an inch thick, which is actually much slimmer than the previous model. It has a 12,100 milliamp hour battery and can project hours of HD content. It's fully wireless with LTE, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth and is powered by a Snapdragon 801 processor with 3 gigs of RAM, expandable storage up to 2 gigs, two, excuse me, 2 terabytes, and ZTE S, the S Pro Plus will go on sale in the summer. Pricing was not revealed, though I guess, I'm guess i guessing this is going to be $1,000 plus, and this is this is not what you and I are buying, but this is what an enterprise is going to buy, and this is going to replace that, that projector that they have that they hook up to a laptop, and easily being able to store content on uh, different uh, cloud-based services, such as presentations, etc., and uh, would be just a stellar device, a mobile device to be able to bring into a presentation and just plop it down, turn it on, and it's projecting your uh, your presentation up and all you're doing it all through one thing and you don't have any other wires or connections or power to think about at all. Absolutely. Just quick and easy. Just, you, yeah, the connections, you know, you've got, if you're, you know, if you're a traveling salesperson you you have to make presentations in other people's conference rooms, uh, the adapters and the technology, they drive you insane because they don't work. You have to call the IT guy. They don't know what to do. They're not there. They have take some 10 minutes to get to where you're at and the screen won't go down. You know, it's just endless issues. Uh, but this, you just bring your own and you've got it. Yeah. And this is, uh, like I said, it's got a lot of things built right into it that Absolutely makes a lot of sense. So I, I, I like this one quite a bit. Then on to uh, HTC, the Desire series updated in 2016 with three new models. HTC has designed the two bodies based on the screen size, uh, both offering a similar styling to uh, mid to the entry level and mid range guts of the previous models. The new Desires will feel familiar to anyone who's seen a Desire in the last two years with minimal upgrades on specs. Then last but not least, Samsung announcing uh, its two flagships for the year, the Galaxy S7 and the S7 
Edge. Upgrades to some of the most popular handsets in the world include a design that's largely the same with some under-the-hood refinements and multiple new features. The GS7 and GS7 Edge maintain the uh, glass and metal design, updating the chassis to provide protection from water and other liquids, providing what Samsung says uh, are places you can use your phone that you've never used your phone before, like a shower or a pool. The Galaxy S7 is a 5.1-inch Quad HD screen. The Galaxy S7 Edge has a bigger 5.5-inch screen with the same resolution. They do have the always-on function, which appears to be the feature to beat this year, uh, similar to that of the G5 and the Motorola X from Motorola, and that dis- displays, of course, notifications and the time directly on the screen without actually having to turn it on. Samsung is also bringing back support for expandable storage with the GS7. Uh, its phones will ship with 32 gigs included, with support for memory cards up to 200 gigabytes. Samsung's also reduced the camera pixel count to 12 megapixels, but increased the pixel size by 95% for better low-light performance. So the lower pixel count is a result of the pixel size increasing to 1.4 microns, up from 1.12 microns on the Galaxy S6. Not quite as large as the 1.55 micron pixels on the Nexus 6P camera, but that means more light will be hitting each pixel, and the low-light shots should be much better. Uh, adding to the low-light photo taking is an even wider aperture, now uh, f1.7 instead of the f1.9 in the previous generation, which is already one of the widest available on a phone. And just like the larger pixels, the wider aperture lets the camera take in even more light in all circumstances. And further, Samsung is borrowing a feature from its DSLR cameras to moving in, into moving the entire new type of sensor that lets the camera's autofocus mechanism work even faster. The S7 and S7 Edge will have a new dual-pixel sensor in which every pixel is used for phase detection autofocus rather than just some of the pixels in most other sensors. Samsung is claiming dramatically improved autofocus time, all without the need for laser focusing uh, as seen in other cameras. Samsung is also changing the sensor from the 16 by 9 aspect ratio to the 4 by 3 aspect ratio. The front-facing camera captures at 8 megapixels, and the GS7 uh, batteries have also been improved. The GS7 is a 3,000 milliamp hour battery. The GS7 Edge is up to 3,600 milliamp hours. The phones use Samsung's Octa-Core Exynos processors, 4 gigs of RAM each, which is great. Also running Android 6.0 Marshmallow, refreshed applications and services. The S7 Edge has a new Edge panel uh, content uh, built into it for expanded content available. And uh, both will be sold, of course, by all four major U.S. carriers. Pre-orders are starting on Tuesday, so you'll be able to start ordering them this week, shipping in just a couple of weeks on March 11th. Now, other notable items from the new Samsung devices include integration with a white pages database in the new stock dialer application. This is really cool. Now the device will automatically identify incoming calls that aren't associated with any of your contacts and it'll give you information about that caller before you pick up the phone or uh, ignore the call. So leveraging white pages huge database, the dialer will also warn you when incoming calls are from known spam or scam numbers, saving you from particular, but picking up a potential unwanted call. The spam and scam detection system will improve over time as you'll have the opportunity to manually flag fraudulent calls directly through the dialer if you encounter them. White Pages boasts a database of 600 million active phone numbers in the U.S. and a total of 1.5 billion globally, meaning there's a good chance that the next unknown call that you get may actually show up as an, uh, a known person or business even before you answer. Literally almost every unknown call I receive, if I'm sitting at a computer, I will not answer. I'll just Google the number before I answer it. Yeah, You know, you, you mentioned that. I have no idea how you can figure that out so quickly. I don't know. 
No, if you're just because the phone call is coming through on your Mac and you're just able to flip over quickly and do it. But I always pull a phone out of my pocket or I look at it on the iPad and I go, where is that? Have I gotten a spam number from that region? Like Hollywood, Florida, I think is what I'm getting a lot from these days. Like, have I got something from there before? And then by the time I think about it, I'm like, oh, it's already gone to voicemail. So whatever, <laughs> whatever. But, uh, you know, the, the ones that really bug me are the unknown calls because I've gotten into traps where someone has grabbed my phone number and it's been like, daily or multiple times a day, unknown, unknown, unknown. You can't block those, and it just drives me crazy. There's uh, there's no way to do that. So I've tried all the tricks. I've yet to be able to figure out something that works. Um, even creating an unknown person in my address book doesn't work. So anyway, um, the other thing that I thought was interesting about this white pages thing is it's not just this device that has it. I did guess I didn't realize this. Cyanogen has integrated this into their stock dialer application, um, and uh, the white pages database is available for use in 16 countries across North, South America, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. And also, uh, if you're hoping Samsung would be adopting the new USB-C connection for its data transfer and charging, you're going to have to wait at least another product cycle for it. Samsung says it's because micro USB retains compatibility with the Gear VR handset released headset that is released last year, and that USB-C isn't quite ready for the mainstream yet. So uh, I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing just yet, and uh, ultimately I think there's a lot of folks that probably feel the same. Absolutely, because I mean, every you know, everybody has a, a bazillion uh, micro USB chargers, and of course, the compatibility with their other devices they're trying to sell, and also the the ports themselves are probably way more expensive to the manufacturers right now. So, um, in a high volume product like these, they do not want to switch to that more expensive connector. Yeah, and I think uh, this is probably the last year I would imagine um, that this is going to be around, but, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll it just depends. Yeah, it just depends how much it takes off. I mean, the USB-C may be a flash in the pan. I don't know. It may just go away it, it, or may never really hit, you know, mainstream uh, adoption. Well, I, you know, some of these connectors, they have great promise and just it never, they never stick. Sometimes that happens. Uh, it, I, I have a feeling it will take off, but, you know, we just don't know. You know, it's interesting because Samsung is kind of the the apple of the Android world in, in that if they're not adopting it, uh, that's really not good news for the standard because they're the ones that are you know pushing most of these devices. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens with this. Um, and if virtual reality is of interest to you, Samsung said consumers in select countries, including the U.S., who pre-order their S7 or S7 Edge will receive a free Gear VR headset. Samsung didn't say how long the promotion would be going. Uh, the S7 will cost approximately $670 to $700, depending on your carrier, while the larger S7 Edge comes in between $780 and $800 depending on your carrier. Uh, monthly payments for the phones range from somewhere between $30 to $40, depending on the terms. And like I said, we've got pretty much every carrier on board from the U.S., including AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, U.S. Sailor, and Verizon, have all said the new handset uh, is coming to them. And Samsung announcing this week it's getting into the connected car business, providing users LTE connectivity in their vehicles. Samsung's Connect Auto Dongle plugs into the car's OBD2 diagnostic port, which is included in most cars that have been sold in the last 20 years or so. And it lets drivers monitor their vehicle's performance as well as locate it. And it also acts as a Wi-Fi hotspot for connecting to the Internet with other devices well, in the vehicle, the Connect Auto device runs Android's Tizen OS, available in the second quarter of the year. Carrier will be AT&T at first in the U.S. Uh, in the U.S. and it will have LTE speeds when connected. Pricing, though, was not announced. One thing about this, where it's connecting to ODB2 to provide power, is kind of what they're really doing uh, for that, and also the, the the car information. 
Uh, some vehicles, their computer systems do not go to sleep if there's something connected to the ODB2 port. So uh, this isn't good for all cars. Uh, let me warn you about that because I, I do know there's quite a few, uh, you know, especially, you know, higher and fancy cars. This is something that's you don't want to leave something connected. Yeah, that could be a very big issue. I'm thinking of everything from your child is in the back seat to uh you know using their ipad to do stuff and then they come in the house and it's still connected to the wi-fi in the car in the garage and they burn up all of your mobile data because they think they're connected to the wi-fi at home to just the sheer fact that it could just wear out your battery in a night i guess too right exactly because your car if the computers never go to sleep it's your battery will be dead in a matter of you know a couple of hours in the car yeah uh anyway so interesting nonetheless as a as a function as a you know product so uh software news uh let's jump into it with apple and providing some uh, options to help people with their bricked iPhones to restore them to working order. An issue has come up where devices repaired by third-party shops with non-Apple parts uh, had phones failing a security test when being updated to new versions of iOS, prompting the phones to lock up and show an error 53 in iTunes. The test was designed to check whether I, uh, Touch ID worked properly before the device leave the factory, said Apple in a statement, and the company is releasing a software update soon that will allow customers with phones generating error 53 to restore their device using iTunes. Apple will, however, leave Touch ID disabled on phones that can't pass that security test and of course they apologize for that inconvenience skype on tuesday updating its application for the iphone and ipad adding several new features to the platform ios users can now launch skype voice and video conversations from within office documents including word excel and powerpoint this will allow colleagues to collaborate with work documents in real time the application already supports messaging between skype users and when in office documents the skype app also makes it possible to save skype videos to the camera roll for sharing via email social networks and other tools skype for ios is free to download from the iTunes App Store. And Apple Pay officially launched in China with support for more than 80% of the country's credit and debit cards this week. Apple partnering with China's Unipay, Union Pay to bring Apple Pay to the country, making it the fifth largest country behind the US, UK, Australia, and Canada. So I used Apple Pay for the first time this week within an application. I was at a Starbucks in line and I looked at my balance and I realized I did not have enough money. And so I went in to reload it. And before I'd even pulled out my wallet, realized that Apple Pay was an option to reload it. And it worked as flawlessly as I could have hoped for. It reloaded the card within you know seconds. And I was by the time I made it up to the front to pay for my drink, I was good to go. Yeah, and I have yet to use Apple Pay, not the NFC version of Apple Pay, but the in-app version of Apple Pay yet. So that's uh, it's an interesting thing I haven't come across yet. Yeah, I think about it like, why why would we not have used this? Well, there's just not enough reasons to do it. If you go to Amazon or something, your credit card information is stored within the app. It's not like it's actually having to charge there, uh, among others. And so it's, um, you know, you're right, it, it's not as used as often as, as maybe other for my you know, methods of payment to art. So uh, on the Android side, Google said people who use Yahoo or Hotmail or Outlook email services can Gmailify their accounts, which adds spam protection, inbox organization, and Google Now cards. Yahoo and Hotmail users only need to sign into their accounts and through the Gmail application, and you'll gain benefits offered by offered to Gmail subscribers. Uh, Gmail will manage incoming email and strip out unwanted spam and also give you tools to manage labels and folders. Google said Yahoo and Hotmail users can continue to use their Hotmail and Yahoo email addresses even if the emails are managed within the app. And they hope to Gmailify email from more providers coming soon. 
Skype this week said video group calling is becoming available to Android and iOS phones and tablets. The feature is being made available in Europe and North America with other regions to follow. Tools supported for 20, the tool supports 25 participants and can arrange people in a grid or dynamically switch in to whatever which person is speaking. So that's kind of a nice thing. Skype is free to download from the Google Play Store and iTunes App Store. And Twitter releasing a minor update for its Android and iOS apps, adding the ability to capture and share videos within direct messages. The update gives Twitter users a more intimate way to share video through a single user uh, with a single user through personal messages. Twitter says the feature is available globally. And Samsung on Monday announcing the Android 6.0 Marshmallow update for the Galaxy S6 and S6 Edge smartphones sold by the manufacturer. Updates uh, for each market and carrier partners are coming soon. Uh, we see some new features with these, including uh, new ways to uh, pull in information for the Edge tool on the Galaxy S6 Edge. And finally in news, Verizon on Tuesday updating multiple phones with Android 6.0 Marshmallow, including the HTC One M9, LG G4, and LG G3. Marshmallow is pushing out over the air, starting right away, but may take several days to reach all devices. Finally, uh, a comment from Hendrick uh, ends the show for us today. And he says, guys, I'd like to point out to you that the Sprint MVNO Ring Plus, if you have a Sprint device that is currently not used, you can activate it on Ring Plus and get some amazing free plans. They will offer, complete, offer completely free plans and plans that require only a small deposit to cover you against charges. So if you've got a Sprint tri-band phone, you can take full advantage of Sprint's new network. And I would also recommend this if you've had Sprint in the past left because the network was bad but like to check it out again because of the improved coverage and network that they have before you make the full switch thanks hendrick great uh, great piece of advice here especially if you're someone it just if nothing else just to have an extra phone activated well and to try it out to see how you know sprint coverage is doing in your area because you know obviously they've made lots of changes to their networks uh in, in the past you know couple of years so yeah why not yeah, indeed. Uh, that's it, though, for today. If uh, you'd like to get in touch with us, you can send us email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or give us a call. 650-999-0524 is the phone number, and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.